thanks to the Alumni Association and to President Frank for this honor to be here with you this evening to talk about resilient communities. How are those made? What allows them to spring back in the face of adversity? Before we embark on that conversation, I'm going to ask you to take one moment to join me in taking a short imaginary trip. I ask you to go to the most beautiful, memorable places that you have either lived in or traveled to. Go ahead. Where are you going? Do you have a picture in your mind? Is it perhaps to one of these locations? Well, let's stop and think. What are the shared characteristics of great cities? Well, some of those that I've shown you are, in fact, urban centers, places that are livable for a greater swath of our society, precisely because they offer individuals greater opportunities and access to jobs and to social interaction. They can do that because these places are walkable and because there are a variety of uses all around you, whether it's housing or our offices, shopping, or perhaps the public spaces, plazas and gardens that make them special. Or it's the access to public buildings such as churches and theaters that are nearby to us. These same characteristics that make our cities memorable are also the very same characteristics that up their resiliency quotient. Now let's contrast these for a moment with suburbia. It is the product of early 20th century changes in how we planned and build cities. Zoning started to segregate uses. And that is why today, these places are disconnected sometimes from their own context, often because they're walled off from each other. But these mono-use destinations obligate us to use the car all the time for every single function of our daily life. And that car makes for greater carbon emissions. And that is making our planet less healthy. But the design of cities alone aren't part of the problem. In fact, buildings are as well. You see, another change occurred in the early 20th century when air conditioning systems came so readily available, architects decided that they didn't need to design buildings that fit in to any particular climate. In fact, the design of our buildings over the 20th century have led to hermetic buildings in many cases, where we have no options of an operable window. And that, in turn, has also contributed to greater carbon emissions. Did you know that buildings, in fact, are the largest contributors to global emissions? We should ask ourselves, if we want to be resilient, shouldn't we start by thinking about how to repair those things that make our planet 
less healthy, and that in the face of greater climate challenges will in fact add to our vulnerability. So the question is, do we go down the path of continuing to design places that are fragmented from each other and not functional and more vulnerable? Or do we want to start thinking about how to create whole places, cities where all these uses and interactions can perhaps give us at least the option of not using the car? This is a topic that is particularly pertinent to South Florida, given that we're sitting in a pretty low-lying, vulnerable area. Look at what just one meter of sea level rise will look like. Now, many of my colleagues across the University of Miami are, in fact, looking at climate change and resilient design. And we at the School of Architecture are no different. The outreach arm of the school around for 24 years now, has been looking at ways to foster not only conversations, but to promote action that lead to sustainable designs in our communities. So moving forward, our center will continue to rely on those five pillars that have always defined how and what we do. When it comes to community engagement, we have a very powerful tool known as Community Design Workshops, or charrettes. We've used this very effectively, not only in our local region, but across the Caribbean basin. One such example was, in fact, in Haiti, where the CUCD partnered with foundation officers, the local leaders and citizens, to figure out how we could provide the province just north of Port-au-Prince with a roadmap that could allow them to plan for resilient and sustainable communities. This leads me to our second pillar, research and capacity building. Now, historically, around the topic of sustainable design, we have been in separate camps in the world of architecture and urban design. Those of us all the way at this end that felt that only through technological advances could we arrive at solutions. And then all the way at that other extreme, there were those that felt that the only way to arrive at those solutions was about being more clear about where we put buildings and how those buildings relate to their context as well as their climate. So we at the University of Miami felt that it was an important moment to bring all of these different camps together so that we could have a conversation and learn from each other. So we invited national experts, and we invited local designers and developers and academics to sit for various days together. And we looked at past as well as present. We considered how, in fact, through bringing traditions and innovations together, we could come up with solutions that were going to be more readily available to a greater segment of our society. And so I'm proud to say that we changed the conversation around sustainable design in South Florida 
as a consequence of the Under the Sun Symposium. The third pillar is where one of my Resilient Miami Initiative partners in the School of Engineering and I have uh, been working on resiliency and preservation guidelines for homeowners in the city of Miami along with their preservation officer. Now, these guidelines are the first of their kind in all of South Florida. In fact, I only know of two other communities in the entire nation that are taking something like this on. And what the guidelines do is that they combine historic preservation needs and resiliency needs. So it's an introduction to those homeowners of how they can prepare, how they can defend in the short term their properties, and how in the long term they can adapt their properties, as well as how they can reduce their carbon footprint through mitigation strategies. And so those property owners need a tool that helps them navigate between those regulations that, and those standards that establish how we rehabilitate a historic building versus how they need to adapt their own buildings in the face of climate change. And the problem is, is that those objectives are actually at odds with each other in many ways. And so that's why we continue to be committed to work with preservation officers in our municipalities to look at finding implementable solutions to really tackle that very tense intersection. Now, this takes me to our final pillar, resilient and sustainable design in the subtropics and tropics. And on this occasion, I'm going to give you an example which is actually part of our new horizon, our work moving forward. My colleagues in engineering and I in architecture will be collaborating with computational and social scientists using an unprecedented computational modeling that will allow us to understand exactly how it is that typical communities in coastal regions will be impacted by climate change. The model will allow us to understand the multiple layers of a city, buildings and urban patterns, and all that infrastructure that we don't even see that's below us, as well as social data related to poverty and affordable housing. Through this unprecedented framework, we will in fact be able to simulate the relationships between all of those layers. And through that, find ways to optimize those relationships between them. This will allow us to produce anticipatory resilient design recommendations for the city of Miami and the city of Miami Beach that could be applied in other places as well. Now, this is a very important activity to summarize our work. But I want to also, before I leave you, ask you a question. What actions can each of us take starting today? What do we feel that we can do that could contribute to our family's resiliency and our community's resiliency?
I have a few recommendations to start us off. We can reduce our carbon footprint. We can prepare and adapt our properties and our neighborhoods. We can value and learn from our historic buildings and neighborhoods. We can adopt smart, much-needed transportation networks that are whole. This is our Achilles heel in South Florida. And we need to promote policies that strengthen buildings, that strengthen our social fabrics, as they also look to protect our natural resources. Moving forward, we're going to embrace solutions. We're going to blend those proven lessons with those smart innovations of the future to come up with community designs that yield us resilient, robust communities. Those that have all the needed redundancies of their infrastructure, but also it will allow us to understand where we need to repair our urban fabric to make us less vulnerable. These actions, we feel, will lead not only to resilient cities, but future generations are going to look back and they're going to say, wow, those are also memorable and beautiful cities as well. I thank you for your time.